0: So we're in the book of 1 John, 1 John chapter 4, and I'm going to start by telling you something that you might not normally hear from the pulpit in an American church today. All right, you ready for this? Don't assume that everything a preacher says is absolutely unequivocally true. All right, just because someone stands before a group of people claiming to speak for God doesn't necessarily mean that everything they say is absolutely true. Just because someone is on TV or on the radio or on the YouTubes doesn't necessarily mean they're right. And even if they're very popular, even if they can draw a crowd of thousands of people and sell millions of dollars worth of books, doesn't mean exactly that what they're saying is really from God. Even if they claim to be an anointed messenger of God. And that includes includes not just pastors of big churches, but pastors of small churches as well. that includes Bible study leaders, because size doesn't really matter. uh, Eloquence doesn't really matter. Even if someone really sounds really convincing. Even if they have a lot of degrees and has been a theologian or a Bible scholar their entire adult lives, don't assume that this person is speaking for God. And that might come as a surprise to you to hear somebody say that from a pulpit. Maybe you grew up in a religious tradition when you were told not to question things. I know of people that were in religious schools in this community that were reprimanded severely for asking questions. Questions that they thought were in school. We're supposed to ask these kind of religious questions. No, you were not allowed to ask questions. Or maybe that you've been in a church before where asking questions was kind of frowned upon and people didn't want you to ask kinds of questions. And maybe you're sitting there thinking, why are you telling us this, Pastor Eric? (laughs) Isn't your job to teach people about God? And aren't you trying to convince people to become Christians? And to that I would say yes and yes. That's my job. That's what I want to do. That's what my desire is, that you would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But listen to this. I believe that Christianity is a thinking man's religion or thinking woman's religion. Some view it mainly as, uh, some say like Christianity, it's just an emotional thing. You know, it's all about your heart. But it involves a person's intellects. Christianity is a religion of the head as well. But the most important aspect is that it's also mainly a a religion of your will. You must be humble and willing to submit your will to the Lord's. So to the unbeliever or to the non-Christian that might be here today, I would encourage you to investigate the claims that I'm making. So don't just take my word for it. I'm telling you right now. Don't just say, oh, the guy up there said it. It must be true. No, I want you to investigate on your own. Because Christianity is a religion based on a historical fact about Jesus rising from the grave. So if that didn't happen, all bets are off. Do whatever you want to do, okay? Live your life any way you want to live if Jesus did not rise from the grave. But listen to this you need to be humble. This is the flip side of the coin. You need to be humble and willing to investigate with an open mind and to search the scriptures for yourself. Ask God to give you wisdom and understanding. Then start digging for yourself if you really want to know and be open to what you have to find. If you have questions, I'll investigate those questions with you. But you've got to be willing. And to the believer that is here today, let me say this. Don't always go with what sounds good or what is emotionally appealing. One youth ministry book, when I first started a ministry many, many years ago, there was a book that I read uh, called Don't Check Your Brains In at the Door. And I, they reprinted it. I thought, that is still a good, that's good advice right there. That's, that, that's worth the title of the book, isn't it? Don't Check Your Brains In at the Door. Because this is more than just a hat rack. So don't be gullible, Christians. Think about what you're listening to. Test the teaching that you hear. The Holy Spirit gives Christians the ability to understand truth and so we need to use discernment in how we listen. If you are a believer, if you're born again, you have the Holy Spirit in you and he gives you the ability to understand truth and so use discernment whenever you're listening to something. That's the message that John gives to his listeners in 1 John chapter 4. In these first six verses of 1 John chapter 4, he is writing to a group of churches. He's writing to a group of churches. He's writing to a Christian believers who had actually been going through some stuff because there were some people that were a part of them, and then they left their fellowship, and then they continued to teach, but they're teaching false doctrine. And so there was some division in the church. There was some disagreement in the church. And so John is partially writing this letter to encourage people, to remind the Christians of who they are. Ouch kind of reminding the people of who they are in Christ, but also to give them a little bit of a warning. So if you look in your Bibles in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, he says, Beloved, a term of endearment to them, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Don't believe everything you hear. He's writing to them saying, don't believe everything you hear, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So he's writing to churches and that word spirit there that he's using is a sense of the spirit that is behind a person who is doing the preaching and the teaching. So he's basically saying, look, there are either one of two possibilities in this situation here. Either a preacher or teacher is operating from the Holy Spirit of God, teaching the things of God, or the person is teaching false doctrine from some demonic spirit. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verse 1 makes this uh, really important statement about the source of false doctrine. It says, In later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. So he's kind of saying the same thing, that this false teaching isn't just, uh, isn't just neutral, but it's actually uh, demonic-inspired teaching. And some people are leaving the faith because they're listening to that. So this is pretty important. We need to know if teaching that we're listening to is from God or from demons. And the reason we are told why we ought to test the spirits, test the teaching, is because he says many false prophets have gone out into the world to deceive people. The true teaching was already there first. Jesus' first disciples, they became the apostles who took the gospel. Jesus said they were going to do this after the Holy Spirit came on them. They took the, the gospel message about the kingdom of God that has, had arrived, First of all, to the city of Jerusalem, and then to the outer regions around Jerusalem, known as Judea, and then to the northern regions above Judea, known as Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so at the same time, Satan, the deceiver, he sent out false prophets that began to twist the apostles' teaching about Jesus in order to sway people from the truth. And that is what has taken place in this church that Jesus is writing to. And so the way to go about determining if something is, is genuine, he says, is by testing, by testing that thing. And the word that John uses there is the word that uh, um, is similar to what metal workers would do whenever they were testing alloys of different metals, the quality of metals and testing them for their, for their purity and for their value. So to do that, you had to give careful observation and examination. But also that sense of the word of careful observation is um it's it's used in the sense of test to show that it is approved to make sure that what you're hearing is good so you don't have to assume that every false teaching is false or every teaching that you hear rather is is false but don't approach teaching thinking that um that it's wrong and you got to prove it he's saying you know the teaching that you're hearing examine it carefully make sure that it's good So And you know what? This kind of warning about false teachers that that Paul is giving to this church, it's not new. It's not new in the people of God. It goes all the way back to the law that God gave to the people through Moses at the very beginning of Israel's history. In Deuteronomy chapter 13, it says that if someone pops up and they perform a sign or a wonder, and then they tell everybody, let's follow a different God and worship him, then they should put that person out of the community. So if the doctrine contradicts what God has already revealed, then that should be rejected. And then later on, Deuteronomy chapter 18, it says that if a prophet comes up and they start claiming to speak for God and they make a prophecy about something that's going to come true and then it doesn't come true, then that person should be put to death. That's pretty serious stuff. I mean, you would think that that's going to keep people from making wild claims, don't you think? (laughs) You can't be wrong twice. It's not right? It's not like the weather. Right? I mean, today somebody might make a prophecy about Jesus coming back and then it doesn't come true, and they're like, oh, I'm at next Thursday, not this Thursday. You you heard me wrong. It happens all the time, it really does. In fact, in writing to the church in the city of Corinth, Paul basically said, You guys will believe anything. A different Jesus, a different gospel. I mean, come on, people. A lack of discernment opens the door for false teaching and provides an opportunity for demonic activity to infiltrate the church and to bring astray, make people go astray. Because remember this, that spiritual or religious activity is not necessarily godly activity. So wait and watch and look and listen and learn. Be a Berean, not a Thessalonian. You ever heard of the phrase, be a Berean? It comes from Acts chapter 17. Acts 17, 10 through 11. It's talking about Paul and Silas and their missionary journeys and how they went about pe- preaching to people. And it says that the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews, now it's referring to these Jews as in the Bereans that they had just visited last night. They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So you've got to love these, these, these Jewish people from Berea. They received Paul, the Apostle Paul and Silas, the most famous apostles right ever, received them, heard their preaching, and didn't just say, that sounds nice, sounds good to me. But it says they were more noble. Why? Because they were examining the scriptures daily to see if it, what Paul was preaching lined up with the teaching that they had, with the scriptures. And so we ought to be be a Berean and examine the scriptures daily to see if what, is, what I'm saying is true. That's why I always encourage like, to have Bibles on the chair. So if you don't have one, you can look it up or you can use your phone or whatever. But examining the scriptures, don't just take somebody's word for it. Look it up. Make sure what they're saying is true. Evaluate the message and the messenger by the word of God. Because false prophets can be very, very deceptive. And Satan doesn't need to destroy the truth to be effective, does he? He just needs to dilute it or distort it to be effective. Satan is the deceiver. He doesn't ever create anything new. He takes what's God's, like an angel masquerading as an angel of light, the scripture says. That's what Satan does. So he takes what is perfect and makes a counterfeit makes it worse, you know, because he distorts it. He never, like, destroys it. He just distorts it and dilutes it. And so we need to be brilliant people who are testing what we listen to, testing the teaching, testing what we hear, testing the spirits. So how do we do this? How do we we test this? That's the big question, right? So you're like, okay, test, good. Well, how do we do this? Well, John gives us three tests to determine truth from error from a suspected false teacher. So, do these teachers confess that Jesus really is God? Do they possess a godly life? And do they they profess godly truth? So, the big test right away, the first question is in verses 2 and 3. It says, uh, by this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. And we did a sermon earlier because John had already talked about the spirit of the Antichrist and what that means. Basically, it's, it's against Christ. It's Antichrist. So he said that he's referencing what he had already written about there. And he's saying, like, this is how you know truth from false. The big one, number one, is that what does this person believe about Jesus? What do you believe about Jesus. Is he just some moral leader or philosophical leader? Is he one option among many? You know, some of the false teachers in Jesus' time, they believed that Jesus wasn't really human. And this teaching is still prevalent today. It's still really prevalent today. I in fact I was this week, I was Talking to somebody at the pool, and I'm not kidding. Right away, this person was like, "Now is the Paul, is the Jesus that Paul wrote about the same Jesus that John wrote about? And why is John' his Jesus seem different than the John than the Jesus of Mark?" And I'm like, he had been listening to a lot of teaching on YouTube, right? And he was and just asking me these really good questions. But really, those questions really were focused on who Jesus is. And I said, "Man, you are right on track." You know what I mean? Figure out who Jesus is. I'm telling you, Paul did not meet a different Jesus on the road to Damascus. He met the one true Jesus. But teachers today can sound very, very convincing about what is true and what about Jesus and how you look at who Jesus is. And so John makes this very clear. He says, every spirit that confesses or acknowledges that Jesus Christ came in the flesh is from God. And then he says the opposite, the negative, that if they don't believe it, then it's not from God. And so what we believe is about Jesus sets Christianity apart from every other belief system ever in the world, every other religion. We believe that the Bible teaches that Jesus was truly God and truly man. He was God in the flesh. If he wasn't fully God, then he wouldn't have been sinless and his death wouldn't have had any impact in our life. It wouldn't have have been effective in covering our sins. And if he wasn't fully man then he could not have been our substitute on the cross, and so we would still be responsible for our sins. Only the one true God, who is truly God and truly man at the same time, could die in our place for our sins and rise again victoriously. Only Jesus Christ could be the perfect substitute that we sinful humans needed. Any other teaching than that is from the Antichrist, John says. And Jesus and other people predicted that this kind of false teaching would come. And in the world that John is writing to, he said that this would come. And false religions exist today that believe differently than what Jesus taught and what the disciples taught. For example, the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses is a God, not the God. Official doctrine of the Jehovah's Witnesses teaches that Jesus is the first creation of God. That he was created as Michael the archangel before appearing in the world as a man. So to them, Jesus is an angel who became a man, a godlike figure, and not the second member of the Trinity. According to Mormonism, there are multiple gods, and God once uh, became a man. So Jesus, before his incarnation, was a created being, and his brother was Lucifer, and he was born from Mary, his mother, but he wasn't conceived by Joseph or the Holy Spirit. He was conceived by God the Father and he became a human being, and then he had multiple wives and multiple children, and then true followers are going to be gods of their own planet someday in the same way that Jesus is a God of our planet. And according to Islam, Jesus never claimed to be divine. And they see Jesus as a prophet who was the last prophet of Israel, but they do not believe that Jesus, in fact, it says on the dome of the rock, on the Temple Mount, which faces... Uh, the Jewish side of Jerusalem, it says God has no son, roughly in Arabic. I mean, it is point blank, they think that it's horrible to think that God would have a son. And liberal Christians today will stress Jesus' Jesus's humanity and say that his attributes of divinity are only exemplifying qualities that we as humanity as can, can hope to emulate. So if you think about it, there's a lot of different ways that we can mess up the question of who is Jesus, But right here in the text, it's plain to see that every teaching um, must teach that Jesus is God come in the flesh. That Jesus is God with flesh on is how I used to describe it to teenagers all the time. It's like God with flesh on. But he's truly God, 100% God and truly man. And so the next question to be asked then is in verse 4 is do these teachers possess a godly life? Because John is writing to a group of Christians now and part of the reason why he's writing these, this letter is to encourage them. And in this section of his letter, he doesn't just give commands. There is a command right out the gate in verse 1, right? Do this or don't do that. Those are commands in scriptures. But John also gives us a reminder about who we are in Christ. So there are imperative statements. What you ought to do, test the spirits. Test the spirits. But then these are also coupled with indicative statements, statements that say what has already what is already true. What's already true. So verse 4 begins with little children reminding them of God's love for them and John's love for them, reminding them that they are children of God. That's who we are in Christ. And then he starts with the word you in verse four because there is an emphasis. You, you, little children, you are from God. As Christians, our life comes from God. We are his children. Our motivation in life and learning is grounded in God. And for this reason, we have overcome the false teachers. We are the conquerors. We have the victory. And John here uses a perfect tense of the verb here to show that this is complete and it's abiding victory. The victory is secure and the victory is continuous. You don't lose that victory. It's the same word that Jesus used right before his death in John chapter 16 when he said, I have overcome the world. John now uses this to say that little children, you who are in Christ, children of God, you have overcome. And the way in which the, we have overcome is not explicitly stated here, but it's implied in, in the text here that we overcome by relying on the true teaching that we heard and by rejecting the false teaching. So, don't get down on yourself. You have already achieved the victory if you are trusting in Jesus. And how do we obtain the victory? It's because the greater spirit, the Holy Spirit, he who is in you, is greater than he who is in the world. Is the world strong? Yes. But our God is infinitely stronger. Are false prophets wise and cunning? Yes, but our God is infinitely wiser. Is Satan great? Yeah, but our God is infinitely greater. And this one who is infinitely stronger and wiser and greater now and forever is in you. You know, I, I came across a story recently that took place during the Civil War. The Union General George McLean always seemed fearful that the enemy had superior forces, so he never attacked Robert E. Lee in the beginning days of the war. And at Richmond, he sent a spy, a man named Alan Pinkerton, to assess the Confederate forces. And Pinkerton assumed that there were more Confederate forces there than he could see, so he inflated the numbers. And as a result, McClellan did not attack the Confederate forces. You know, this is how often it is we are as Christians. We overestimate the power of our enemy, and we underestimate the power of God in us. Because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. False prophets spouting false teaching do not possess a godly life because they are in the world, it says here. And Christians who believe God and who are trusting in God have the Holy Spirit in them, giving us the victory over the power of the enemy. God lives in us, and because of this truth, we can now move forward in a life of loving and sacrificial service, just as our Savior Messiah did. And we can confidently live knowing that We have the victory already in us because of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus' victory for us. We can now live in that victory going forward. The victory is ours. I love the way the pastor, uh, John Piper, applied this truth beautifully in two ways. He said, first of all, do not take credit for your listening ear or your confessing heart or your correct view of Christ. Give credit to the Spirit who's in you and give glory to God. So if you understand something, it's not because you're smarter than the next guy right? It's because the Holy Spirit gave you that understanding. So give glory to God for that understanding that you have. And secondly, when you are threatened by any deception of the evil one, any temptation or discouragement or anxiety or cowardice, remind yourself uh, that he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So trust in him. Trust in the victory that you have. Remember the Holy Spirit lives in in you if you are trusting in Christ. If you've been born again, And then the third test to determine false teachers is is found in verses 5 and 6. He says in verse 5, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, do they profess godly truth? The word they in verse 5, it's funny because it starts verse 4, verse 5 there. There's three sentences, and each one starts with that pronoun. You are from God. You are a child of God. They are from the world. And it's written that way because you can underline that in your Bible because that's the emphasis that he's making the strong connection, saying, look, those false teachers are from the world. They might look good and nice and shiny on the outside, but inside they're just like the rest of the world. You know, I, I mentioned before I read that book by Kosti Hen. God in the prosperity gospel, and he used to travel with his uncle Benny all over the world, Benny Hen. and he was said, like, everybody said, you know, we convince ourselves from the outside everything is great, but he's like, down deep we're doing what everybody else is doing. We just want cars and houses and pools and you travel. Like, that's, that's really what we wanted. We say it was for God's blessing, but inwardly we were, it was just like the world. He didn't realize there was a difference there. You know, he says here, they are, verse 5, they are from the world, therefore they, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. And so we need to listen to what people are saying. Are, is a false teacher, are they actually declaring the Bible and the Bible alone as the Word of God? Are they interpreting Scripture through the framework of Orthodox Christianity? Do people want to hear what they want to hear? Because that tends to be the case. In fact, Paul warned Timothy about people who would turn away from gospel preaching in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy 4, verses 3 to 4, he says this, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. When someone is not willing to listen to sound teaching because it doesn't align with their chosen sinful lifestyle, then they will find some teacher who will tell them what they want to hear. And John here is reminding us no, it's not what you want to hear, it's what God is telling you. So listen to the true truth from God. And he ends by saying that this test has been given to us in verse 6 at the end of, I mean, yeah, at the end of verse 6 by this. Uh, he connects his sentences like this, like he's saying, like this is how this whole verse, previous four, five verses that he just talked about. This is how you can define the spirit, and, and in the ESV, which we use, is a capital S for like the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Truth. How that's different from the Spirit of deception, or deception could be error, or uh, it's it kind of has the sense of wandering away. You know, false prophets and those who listen to those, they will wander away. And their error, it starts with who Jesus is, but then it goes to what do you want to hear? The Bible says that Jesus is God, but those, spirit, those that have the spirit of error, they wander away and deny the eternal deity of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that Jesus is sinless, but they wander away and they say that, well, maybe he sinned or committed error. The Bible says that Jesus did miracles and that, that God did miracles. But the spirit of error will cause people to wonder away and say, well, did it really happen the way it's written? Or did they want it to happen the way it was written? And so they wrote it down the way that sounds fanciful. But it, it wouldn't have really happened that way. And then it's just one more step to say, well, the Bible says that Jesus is the only Savior. But false teachers will say, well, He is a Savior. He might be good for you, but not, I mean, not for everybody, right? And the Bible says that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. But many teachers today will deny what the doctrine of penal substitution saying, well, God would never murder His Son. That's cosmic child abuse. And the Bible says that Jesus rose from the grave, but Some people would say, is that really necessary? Or were they just wanted him to have been risen from the grave? So they began to tell people in that way. But the Bible is very clear that Jesus ascended into heaven and that he's coming back again and that he will be the judge of all of us. But too often people will say, you know what, God is love and eventually all is going to be saved and so in the end, really, love wins. So can't we just love everybody? The truth is that there is a battle going on for the hearts and the minds and the wills of all of men and women, of all people. And so, I said don't listen to everything I say. Listen to me when I say this, though. Okay? Test the spirits. Test and see. Examine for yourself. Be discerning. And I do encourage you. I can't make anyone... Do this, but I encourage you to confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Confess Jesus Christ as Lord. Hold on to God's word and trust the Holy Spirit that is given to you because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Let's pray together. God, I pray that you would give us discerning hearts and minds. Oh, God, I pray that you would help us to have um, thinking questions and thinking things. Lord, I pray that we would not just walk away from here and be like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and forgets what he hears. But God, I pray that we would examine the scriptures. We would be like a Berean and examine what we have heard daily to see if it's really true. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray that if there are any here who has not confessed that Jesus Christ is Lord, God, I pray that you would convict our hearts, convict them, and that they would turn from their sins and trust in you for salvation and you alone. Oh God, I pray for the Christians that are here today that we would also be examining the scriptures daily. And God, I pray that we would rest in that truth that we have the victory, not because of anything we've did, but because we're trusting in you and you have said the victory is Jesus Christ and if I am in Christ, now the victory is mine. Oh God, we thank you for the promises that you give us in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.